Good evening, everyone, and thank you again for this opportunity to come before you and share what the Lord has laid on my heart. Uh, as many of you know, um, a group of us went to uh, Zambia. Uh, we visited two churches uh, that Brother Kaufman started, two out of the three, sorry, one in Nakonde and one in Umpalungu. And uh, before we left the church in Umpalungu, that is the church that uh, Brother Kaufman currently resides in, I had the honor of being able to give uh, the final message, I, can, I guess you can say, the final devotion. Uh, we had a fellowship lunch after the Sunday service, and um, I was asked to give a short devotion, uh, a word of encouragement uh, to the brethren there. And uh, my desire for them essentially was for them to, to press forward as the children of God, as uh, many of uh, whom were no older than five or six years. That's how old the church was. So if you consider that's the oldest Christians are five or six, and the remaining are actually less than that. And in that devotion, I used the Thessalonian church as an example to show the similarities that I saw in them, uh, the, the brethren there in Umpalungu and the church uh, there in Thessalonica, so that they may be encouraged by these similarities and that they may follow after the example of the, Thess of the Thessalonians. And tonight I'd like to further elaborate on this, uh, a kind of part two, I guess you can say. And um, I wanted to, uh, to also show that we too share similarities with the church, especially in regards to how the church in Thessalonica began. Um, and that is to summarize how many of us had turned from idols to serve the living God. And also I want to be able to encourage you by their example that we may follow after them, as the Bible says, to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And also because here at Metropolitan Baptist Church, you know, our story, we're, we're, we're going to be 49 years, uh, will be our anniversary, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, it's been 49 years, yet our story is not completely written in stone. We still have the liberty in Christ to choose how our story ends, and that should be an encouragement for us. Um, so, uh, let us, I want us to be encouraged by the testimony of the Thessalonian church. Their testimony was that they became followers of Christ, having received the word in much affliction, but with joy in the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's the desire that, that I would like to have and for us to have as a church. So please turn with me uh, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 to 20, please. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 13 to 20, and we'll pray. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 reads, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For ye brethren became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. 
who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us as they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins alway, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavoured the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word. We're thankful that you have used it to communicate to us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. And Lord, as we look at the example of the brethren there in Thessalonica, we pray that we would learn the example that they have laid before us, that we would follow after them, that in their struggles they had joy, and that we likewise could do the same. We pray, Lord, that for a blessing upon the preaching of your word, we pray, Lord, that we would be humble before you, that we would receive your word with joy. And Lord, if there are any that are challenged, Lord, help us to be encouraged, knowing that there is the peaceable fruit of righteousness if we are exercised by it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'd like to give you some context um, before we start. We're looking at the book of First Thessalonians, but I want to take us back to the book of Acts. You don't have to turn there, but I will explain in summary um, how this church began because it has much more detail in the book of Acts. So how the church started. It tells us that Paul and his companions were only in Thessalonica for three Sabbath days. That's approximately three weeks preaching and teaching Christ in the synagogues as they normally did. When they entered a new area, they would go to the synagogue first. And many believed, and a church was very quickly formed. But the unbelieving Jews, being jealous, gathered a company of people, and they set the city in an uproar. And the people and the rulers, they were very greatly troubled uh, by this. So the brethren sent Paul and his companions away by night to Berea, and they didn't even get a chance to say goodbye to everyone. Oh, how Paul, he, he so very desired to spend more time with them, to establish them in the faith, to instruct them in holy and blameless living before God. But the unbelieving Jews, they continued to pursue after them, even onto Berea. And Paul was forced to go to Athens, but as we read, Timothy and Silas or Silvanus, remained to establish and comfort the brethren and meet up with Paul later. And when they were joined together again with Paul, uh, they shared with him, with Paul, how even in the face of great opposition and persecution, their faith did not waver. Their love towards God and one another and those outside of the church remained. This brought great encouragement to Paul. And in response, he wrote, 1 Thessalonians, and then shortly after he wrote the second epistle, uh, 2 Thessalonians. 
So why did he write these epistles? Firstly, Paul wanted the believers to know how much he loved and cared for them, especially because they had left so abruptly. He also wanted to make sure that they were grounded in the doctrines of the Christian faith. And it's very surprising to read how much Christian doctrine, how much teaching there is when you go through these two epistles. It seemed that he had, had taught them so much in such a little span of time. And we can also attribute uh, Timothy and Silas as, as they helped to establish them as well. Truly, this church was hungry for the Word of God. On the other side, on the flip side, they were also suffering increasing persecution. And this always brings great temptation and compromise. So Paul encouraged them to stand firm, to maintain their strong witness, live pure and holy lives, that they may be blameless when the Lord returns. So today I'd like to look at these verses that we read, um, and I pray they will be an encouragement to your faith and your walk with God. Let's begin with 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. It says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Paul was very thankful to God because of the faithfulness and the testimony of the Thessalonians. And I'd like to give you an example using uh, the example of the churches there in Nakonde and Umpulungu. And I felt uh, a little bit of what Paul had experienced in this verse. Myself and the other eight that, that helped out and went, went to Zambia, we were very thankful to God. We were very thankful that we were able to see faithful brethren, people who, who put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but not only in word, but in deed as well. And like the Thessalonians, I could tell from just spending a little bit of time with them, just like the testimony of Peter and, and, and John, I perceived and I took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. This was their testimony in my eyes. You know, sometimes you can just tell with certain people. And at the end of the family camp, um, the family camp was the reason why the, the, the brethren there in Nakonde and Umpulungu came together, uh, was for this family camp. At the end of the family camp, we had an opportunity, as we do here, uh, to sing favorites and to give testimonies. And it was an opportunity to hear many of the salvation testimonies uh, of these brethren, particularly the ones from Pastor Calvin's church. And uh, what did strike me immediately was this, was that when, I, when they shared their testimony, when they said that, they, when they heard the gospel, uh, I realized that they did not just hear the words of men, but as the truth, the word of God, just as it is written here in our verse. And I was greatly encouraged that they had such a testimony, because it's the same testimony that, that I had, the same testimony that we all have. We didn't know them very well, we couldn't have, we spent no more than you could say two weeks with them. But our, our common faith made me feel, made us feel that we're a lot closer to them than, than, our, than, than it really appeared. 
you know, if we recall and think about what our life was like before we were saved, I know this might not apply to everyone, but for those who, who, had, um, who were saved at a later age, maybe this can be uh, relevant to you. But if I recall the life that I had before I was saved, and I, re- and I think about what the Lord has done in my life and how He has changed my heart and, and my mind and so forth, you know, the, the earthly pleasures and, the, and, and all the kingdoms of the world that, that my heart often fools, fools me, me into thinking that I need, even these, I would never trade my salvation for this, for any of this stuff, when we truly think about what God has done for us. And yet, you know, we are foolish at times, yet we do think, unfortunately, that we need more than the spiritual blessings that we already have. But this shouldn't be so. If only we sit, th- sit and recall what, what the Lord has truly done in our lives, we would be able to correct the way, the correct our wrong thinking. And we need to spend more time in God's presence for this. We shouldn't just be asking, but we should be in fervent prayer. We shouldn't just be reading God's word, we should be meditating upon it. And, and th- the point is that uh, the, the people there in Thessalonica who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, they took uh, the words of Paul and of, of Timothy and, and, and Silas as the word of God. And so should we, and so should we take the Bible as the same thing, the word of God. Verse uh, 14. Uh, we'll read 14, 15, and 16 together. It reads, For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their prophets, and have persecuted us. And they please not God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins alway, for the wrath is come upon them, to the uttermost. I mentioned before that that um that there were jealous and unbelieving Jews, and how they persecuted Paul and his companions in Thessalonica. They created an uproar, forced them to leave, and they even chased after them into another into a different town. In fact, they were persecuted by the Jews wherever they went, as we, as we read through the book of Acts. Paul mentions. Uh, uh, gives a summary of, of what his persecution was like. He mentions that he was whipped five times. He was beaten with rods three times. Three times he was shipwrecked. He was lost out in sea. Perils everywhere he went. But he said in these times, what came to his mind daily was the spiritual well-being of the churches. That was the motivation of his heart. His love and concern for the churches in, in persecution, he was thinking about the brethren there in Thessalonica. He was thinking, I was only there for three weeks. What, what's going on with all this, under this persecution? Is my labor in vain? What's, what, how, is their, how are their hearts? Are they turning away from the Lord? This was his concern. And that's why he was so encouraged. That's why he was so thankful, if you read this epistle, when he heard of the good testimony of, of uh, from from uh, Timothy 
and Silas. And I say this because this needs to be our motivation for preaching the gospel, for preaching God's word. Persecution, unfortunately, is no excuse uh, that should stop us from being bold. Many of us, if not all of us, have used some sort of indirect persecution as a reason not to share God's word. But it is no excuse. Paul even says in the following chapter, please look with me in in chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians, uh, verses 2 and 3. He says, And send Timotheus, our brother, a minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions, referring to the persecution they were facing. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. Paul told them already that this is a part of being Christian. The Bible already tells us that um, anyone who lives godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And the Thessalonians, they experienced exactly that. And Paul, being the one who started this church, he found that his responsibility to teach them that they should endure because Christ is coming again. And if Christ was coming again, then everyone needs to hear the gospel that they might be saved. This was Paul's motivation, that people get saved and the brethren be built up in the faith. The very thing that dominate, that the very thing that dominates, uh, this is the thing that should dominate our mind, just like it did the Apostle Paul. The worse things got for Paul, the greater his motivation became. And this is the example that we should follow. You know, maybe because we have become uh, complacent as a result of living in a country without any direct persecution, maybe that's the reason why we've become complacent, why we, we make excuses. And that is fair enough. But should we then pray for persecution that we may be motivated? God forbid, that's ridiculous. You know, what we need is, is a change of mind. What we need is a renewing of the mind. You know, how can we pray for revival? How can we pray for a renewing of the mind you know, if, if we are not willing to spend more time under God's preaching, more time in God's Word, not just reading, but truly meditating upon what, is, what we read? You know, it's, it's, it, it, it goes hand in hand. We can't ask for revival and do nothing about it and not spend, not be willing to, to hear from God. That just doesn't make any sense. And let us remember the words of Paul. This is what he said to the Thessalonians. He said, But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And that is my my plea to you. Be not weary in well-doing. Let's look at verse 17, please. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavoured the more abundantly to see your face, with great desire. My apologies, that's chapter 2, verse 17 I was referring to. Paul used the expression, being taken from you. That's how he described it when he was forced out uh, by, by unbelieving Jews. He said, being taken from you. You know, it's interesting, when I was doing some study on this, it says, this has the meaning of a child being taken away 
from their parents. And it made a lot of sense of, of this, this emotion, I could say, as a lack of a better word, the emotion that you read of, of Paul regarding his concern and his love for this church because he left so abruptly. And now I can understand that that, that, that desire was like uh, a parent wanting to, to reunite with their child who has been taken away. For him, it was a feeling of great loss, uh, uh, and it was a great desire and urge to see them again. But um, Paul thought it was only going to be a short time before he would uh, return onto them, or they, he would be able to see them again. But it says here uh, that Satan had other plans. Verse 18, Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan himself, uh, Satan hindered us. You see, we must realize that we have an enemy who is constantly against us. But the more we learn from the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, the better we are able to stand against the attacks of Satan. That was how Jesus responded to Satan, and that is how we ought to respond to Satan. For in this war, in this spiritual war, flesh and blood can do nothing. It's useless. It's a spiritual war, one that is fought with our minds, filled with the Word of God, on our knees, praying for the Spirit of God, and our hearts yielded to the power of God. The Bible says, Marvel not, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness. We know, we know the truth about Satan because the Bible tells us how he is. Satan and his ministers come in white robes. They will never come as uh, red devils with horns, a tail and a pitchfork. They are pretenders. They come as teachers and preachers of the truth. Their intentions, however, are to steal, to kill, and to destroy. They are truly wolves in sheep's clothing looking to devour. And because we know this, because we can know the mind of Satan, we can try every spirit to see whether it is from God, whether it is from Satan. Because the Bible tells us there are many false prophets. So he tells us we must try every spirit. And what can we test them against? How can we test them against? Well, the, the standard is the Word of God. It says, the word, For the Word of God is light, and everyone that is evil hates the light, lest their deeds should be reproved. But everyone that does truth comes to the light, that their deeds may be made manifest that they are from God. You see, the Word of God, this is what the Word of God can do. You speak the Word of God to people, and they're either going to hate it, or they're going to love it. And that's how you can tell. The more of God's truth we know, the greater ability we have to stand against the wiles of the devil. It's a general statement. You know, Paul, um, Paul told the truth to the Thessalonians, the truth about the reality of, of persecution, and the, re the reality and the struggle of following after Jesus Christ. But he was also truthful to them about the promises and how we have the promise of eternal life 
We have the promise to be with our Lord forever and that we are delivered from the wrath to come. You know, Paul was preparing the Thessalonians for the battle ahead and encouraging them that he that is in you, in them, is greater than he that is in the world. And Paul's desire for the Thessalonians, it reminded me very much of pastor's desire for us. All pastors, in fact, for, for their flock. And all pastors, they desire that their flock be not ignorant of the enemy. They desire that, that the flock grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. They want us to be steadfast. They want us to be unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Paul's desire is, is no different to our pastors and the pastors uh, all around uh, who are under shepherds of Christ. And it says here um, in 1 Thessalonians uh, 2.19, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Paul is saying to the Thessalonian believers, that this, this was uh, his hope and joy. His hope and joy was, was uh, to be together with them again in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And just as that would be for our pastor, that would be our pastor's hope and joy, that we, the flock, uh, and pastor, pastor, we being the flock and pastor being the under-shepherd, their faithful testimony, the, the faithful testimony of the Thessalonians was evidence of Paul's faithfulness as a servant of God. And his joy was that they would be reunited, reunited again at Christ's coming. That's what Paul was looking forward to. And verse 20, lastly, it says, For ye are our glory and joy, reaffirming the very fact that, um, that being together with Christ, this is where they may experience true glory and joy together in heaven with God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so will we be joined together again when our Lord comes for, for His church. As it was for the Thessalonians, uh, let the return of Christ also motivate us to be more spiritual, uh, that we would not be weary in well-doing. This is something that, that um, as many of you would know, well, as some of you would know, Sorry, First and Thessalonians talks uh, about the rapture and about the coming of Christ. And Paul was using it as a motivation. Uh, he was trying to motivate the, the Thessalonians, not just teach them and correct their, um, their, their, their wrong understanding of the coming of Christ, but also to motivate them. And that's how it ought to be for us. We often forget... Um, you often forget the motivation that we should receive, knowing that the Lord will come at any time. And let me just exhort you again, as Paul exhorted the Thessalonians, may this be a reminder that we, we should be more spiritual um, in our daily lives. So we're going to end uh, um, the message there, and we're going to have a time to reflect and respond to God in prayer.
so we'll ah have our eyes closed.